0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson. I'm with Reader Views in
1: Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to episode number 109 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Do-It-Yourself Audiobooks, and our special guest joining us is Janet Reel. You can learn more about all of our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments about tonight's show. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with Janet Grace Reel, who is an award-winning author, artist, performer, community mentor, and creative collaborator. Her poems, stories, and essays have been widely published in national literary magazines such as the Harvard Review and the anthologies Stories to Live By, Wisdom to Help You Make the Most of Every Day, and Hot Flashes No. 2. Her book, Sightlines, a Poet's Diary, told in story poems, was recently made into an audiobook called Sightlines, a Family Love Story in Poetry and Music. Twice selected as finalist for Poet Laureate of Lake County, California, and a member of Authors Guild, her life moves between the big city in St. Louis, in the central west end, to the family home place on the bluffs above the Mississippi River in southwestern Illinois, where she collaborates on creative projects with her 90-something father. Well, good evening, Janet.
0: Oh, good evening, Victor and Irene. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, so it's certainly a pleasure to have you uh, with us, too, because I'm sure that we have a lot of listeners that have considered doing an audio book and looked at the prices, and it could run anything between five and $10,000 to have somebody else do it. But what we're going to be talking today is how we can actually do this ourselves. So it's really great to have you online, and especially with your expertise, so before we start going into you know, just some of the technical stuff that we're going to talk about, how did you decide to turn like a poetry book into an audio book? I've been doing readings and talks all around the country and workshops, and the feedback that I was getting as I was doing these was that people got so much more out of the content of the poems when I was reading them. Also in these talks and readings, I'd always include music. i uh, I play, I play violin and so I would, uh, use my violin as part of my presentation or sometimes, uh, sing. So it grew in me that it would be, um, useful and, uh, would it enhance what the book had already done to turn it into an audiobook. The well, audiobooks are certainly, they're great because many of us have to travel. Uh, at one time when I was actually had an office that I had to uh, drive for a whole hour, I would go to the library and get a cassette tape. Gosh, that's so archaic. And listen, and it just passed the time away so much. And, but now, of course, so we don't have cassettes, but what do you use? Do you use CDs, MP3s? What, what do you record your audiobook on? The files that we recorded and edited on our MP3 files. The actual product, the hard copy product, is four CDs in one in one set, mm-hmm. and those, of course, can be translated into uh, downloads from iPods. And so, do you find that that more people actually get the MP3s rather than CDs, or is, is, are they pretty much even? No. I think that for the demographic that's interested in my audiobook and poetry book, they're more likely to want the the CDs that they can touch and feel and, um, you know, use directly rather than the MP3s. I think it would just depend in each case who you think your audience might be. Uh, I think it was last year or something on blogging authors, we uh, did a tour stop for you. And you certainly left a lot of information on bloggingauthors.com on this, but I assume that this is what we're going to be talking about and they're going to be going more intensive rather than just looking at your videos that you had done. Is that it? I think that anyone who wants to go to your site, um, search my name and find the post, that they would find... The essential information that we're going to be discussing today—it's a mixture of uh, going through the six steps that we'll discuss, of uh, producing your own audiobook, plus the videos that you know bring the bring those points to life. So let's get right into your step. What is step number one? Step number one is that is the creative step. First of all, you have to have something to record. So it might be a um, uh, poetry or it might be fiction or it might be nonfiction, you already have to have uh, the content that you're going to record. So that's, that's part of the creative step. And then the other part of the first step, the creative step, is that you'll be actually doing recording. And that's creative in the sense that you're interpreting your material. So you're planning, establishing the content for your CD recording and then later on you'll go into other phases
1: great let's talk a little bit about the uh, the technical aspects of the podcast obviously audio quality is of paramount consideration do I need like a soundproof room or what can I do to reduce the ambient noise
0: certainly you would need a room that is is protected from outside noise um, in my case, I was, I was lucky enough to be in a home recording studio, but it wasn't anything fancy at all. Uh, it was just a simple, small room. It wasn't padded or anything like you might think of a professional studio. So tell me, what um, type of recording equipment do you use when I mean, you said you were in a home studio? So is this specific type of recording that is better than others? Of course, there are a variety of software programs that allow you to record directly, record podcast, and could also record your audiobook. In in my case, I was using the services of a sound engineer, so he was providing the the sound equipment. Does that get costly? Um, when you have to hire somebody? In my case, it it wasn't exorbitant. In in fact, the person I hired is the son-in-law of Yvonne Perry, whom you might know, and uh, he gave me a very reasonable price.
1: Well, that's good to have a friend in the business, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. He uh, operated out of Nashville, and that's why I decided to do the audiobook when I did because I had two blogging buddies, Yvonne Perry and also Hal Minogue, who both lived in Nashville. And as you both know, there are so many of our friends on the Internet that we never see. And when I found that I was in St. Louis, I realized that, oh, I can go to Nashville. I can meet these people. And at the same time, it occurred to me that Nashville was definitely the best place to produce my audiobook.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that's a a great environment. And, yeah, Yvonne Perry is is very skilled at, at podcasts. I believe we've talked to her a couple of times Let's go to your next step, which is the legal and copyright considerations. What do I need to know about that?
0: It's important to make everything on your audiobook completely legal, both to protect yourself after it's released and also to honor the creative people that have contributed to what you're doing. In the case of my audiobook, Sightlines of Family, Love Story, and Poetry and Music, it wasn't just reading the poems. It was also intercutting music that we'd recorded in my father's parlor. There was a banter that we had uh, recorded also in the music session. There was uh, my father's voice as well as my voice uh, reading poems. So it was a rather intricate uh, project. Uh, Therefore, there were songs that my father had composed, seven of them, and I wanted those copyrighted in and of themselves then there were so many other songs that were either out of copyright or in copyright and all that had to be researched in addition at the end of the project you want to copyright the project as a whole again it protects you from legal action and it also makes sure that you're part of the creative stream in an honorable way
1: right that's a very good point I know there's a number of sources of free music for podcasts. I assume that they're also free for audio books, but I was wondering if, I mean, you're capable of performing your own music, but I wonder if you had any uh, tips as to uh, places to find music.
0: I don't. I know that just as you can find stock photos, it's perfectly um, feasible for you to find stock music, so to speak. Um, a lot of this is in the public domain, or it has been released for that perfect purpose specifically.
1: Great. So let's see, have we covered the uh, production aspects, or is, is there is there more we can talk about?
0: So far, we've got the creative part, and then the technical editing. And that uh, also, also includes the mastering and disc numbering, um, there's quite a bit of um, sound engineering that, that goes into this. And um, what, what my sound engineers got kidding I did was we flipped files back and forth through you send it in order to do the technical edi- editing and also the mastering and disk numbering. Mastering means that the volumes adjusted so that one sound isn't louder than the other that type of thing and then the the spanning is uh where will the tracks and the cds themselves break if you're making more than one disc then as we said there's the legal part and um we you need to go then into um the actual production the production is going to be the physical replication of what you of your of your masters so I chose a company called um, Disc Makers to do that. So that company presses and replicates the disc, makes the insert, and packages the entire product. At that point, you have to make decisions about the artwork, whether you're going to do it yourself or will they, and how many copies you want. In uh, the case of our project, I decided to do 1,000 copies so that we wouldn't have to go back and do the mechanical licensing all over again. We didn't talk about the mechanical licensing in detail, and we could do that uh, some more if you wanted to. Um, and then after that, it's step five, which should be this distribution and marketing.
1: Great. Yeah, I guess mechanical licensing, uh, I mean, to borrow from the print industry, is you you may have to tell the uh, person that you're licensing the work from how many copies you're going to make. Is that correct?
0: Yes. It's done through whoever is holding the copyright, and so you also have to research and track down who that is. There's a great deal of research involved, so you're getting permission to use the copyrighted musical materials that are being replicated for sale in the recorded format, so In that way, there is some kind of complex formula for all this uh, that is uh, computed as an equation of how many uses of the the clip are you sampling in your CD and the number of CDs. So then that's how they figure out the royalty for allowing you to use their material.
1: Right, yeah, uh, that makes sense. I guess there's also some uh, equivalent of print-on-demand services for audiobooks. I think CDbaby.com might be one of those. But let's talk a little bit about uh, distribution. Now that you've done this, you know, thousand hours of work in, well, maybe not, in in producing the audiobook, how do I get a a distributor who's going
0: to get it out there? My CD is listed on CDbaby, as you just mentioned. And that's a good reference point. what's really lovely about c d Baby is you actually have each track of your project available on c d Baby so that a potential buyer can go in and listen to a track and or several tracks and it's like shopping in a bookstore and to see would I like to have this product or not it's Really more important, though, in terms of distribution and marketing, that you have your own distribution and marketing program, and that will determine very much on what the strength of your existing marketing platform is and what your resources are. Um, So, for instance, if you have a strong blog or website and you already have a following, then it's a good way to go. In that way, some people might go the route of going to, you know, book fairs and doing talks and workshops and then selling the audio book in the back of the room.
1: Great. There's another service I want to mention before I forget, which is called uh, Podiobooks.com, P-O-D-I-O, Books.com, and that is where some authors are serializing their book and just doing like a chapter a week reading and you can sort of uh, gain readers that way. I mean, you don't have to serialize the whole book. You could do, you know, just the first three chapters. But there often there might be some some crossover if you're if you're going to do a, a audio book and a printed book there.
0: Sounds like a good resource. Also, when you're doing your distribution and marketing, of course, at that point, you're going to price the product, so you'll look at what your costs were. You'll at least double that and come up with a price point, and you might also want to include the position handling.
1: Right. Yeah, it's a common mistake in the print industry for people to underprice their products and not realize that... You need to either double or triple your production cost to pay the wholesaler what they want. Let's just talk a little bit about authors who may be microphone shy. I mean, there aren't too many people that like the sound of their own voice or will admit to it. Do you have any uh, advice on that?
0: I think that when you start to record, that it's important to practice, just as you would any activity that you want to be good at. So practice beforehand. And then once you're there, be present, alert, and open to your emotional response to the words that, in fact, you've written. And then think of your voice as an instrument. You can use inflection, pacing, and pitch to engage the listener. The other thing about being microphone shy is when I first sat in Scott's sound studio, I was really rather terrified myself because I was about to record 90 poems, and I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if my voice would hold out. I didn't know if I'd be able to record in this fresh way that I recommended. I knew that I was going to be um, reading material that was emotional, and I didn't know how I would be able to go through that. What I did find was that that was all fine, there was no problem. And one reason there was no problem was that I did have uh, the person in the room who was totally accepting and um, very supportive of me throughout, and he was skillful at what he was doing technically to support me, but also he was um, just there and very present as well. So that would be one thing that I would recommend is that you would have someone in the room who just is with you, supporting you um, with presence. So, Janet, what um, I'm hearing then is you actually went to a professional. You, you did part of this in a professional studio. You had an experienced engineer working with you. And what, um, what about authors that just feel that maybe they can't afford to hire a studio or hire an engineer but really want an audio book? What what are the possibilities? Where do they do? Where do they start? Well, I think that either you have a technical base yourself, or you have friends, or you have the ability to track down and hire someone at at a reasonable rate, so... For myself, I have only a degree of technical ability. If I hadn't been hiring somebody to help me to be my sound engineer, then I would have had to look for friends. And this project was recorded both in on our own and also in the sound studio. So when we were recording... The ambient sound in my father's parlor. We simply had um, a mini disc player that was just hanging from a uh, music stand and just ran for all the five hours that we, we were recording the music and recording the poems that I wanted to record with my father. So I think that that would be the main thing. To whether you pay for it, whether you. Uh, have the resources within your network, and you don't have the technical facility, then of course you're just going to have to get some help. So, what do you feel, that you, you did this on a do-it-yourself budget, and as compared to you hiring somebody to do the whole, you know, whole works from the, the narration, the, the production, everything, packaging, what would be the comparison and what your savings was? Irene, I couldn't even begin to tell you. The amazing thing about this project was that I just leapt into it with a high degree of faith. And I learned how to do this as I went on. These six steps that I've listed, um, which would be ending with your celebrating what you did, these six steps are not something that I found on the Internet. They're something that I have there's something that i have let's see, how I want to say there's something that i've um, identified since the end of the project and after we started i kept really close tabs on the cost but i never uh looked at the possibility of anyone else doing the reading except myself so i i can't say uh what those other uh, services cost we did do comparison shopping on the, um, the actual production, you know, the disc, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the disc company, but most of it was just uh, was just done straight ahead, and we just did it step by step, which is helpful to me because otherwise I would have been really quite overwhelmed by it. But it sounds to you very calm and collected about it all, and it was really smooth for you, which is really great to hear that that is possible. So in my thoughts here, I'm still, like Victor had mentioned, it's like maybe, you know, um, microphone shy. I'm not microphone shy, but I'm just like, whoa, I'm really getting too overwhelmed. So, you know, you did poetry, but then there are books that are novels or some authors may have a self-help book or a novel or a mystery or something and there's dialogue in it. And, you know, it just sounds like it's really overwhelming, but yet the way you say you talk about it, it really isn't. And so I want to talk a little bit about dialogue. And you obviously, you said you talked, you recorded some um, with your father, you and him talking. And so maybe if you can give us some pointers on recording dialogue. Well, I would say if I was going to record a nonfiction book or uh, a fiction book, a novel, short stories, that the way to make it less overwhelming would be to break it down just as you would any project. I think it would be really good, too, to listen to a lot of audiobooks and narration because there's so many excellent professional narrators now. So you can see how do you do dramatic readings. And if you don't feel that your own voice is up to it, then you might want to have a friend do it or, I suppose, hire a narrator. It's It's a real skill to be able to read your own work, and not everyone has that skill. With the dialogue, I have dialogue in my story poems, and I would say the, the tip I have for that is the tip for everything else, is that you just try to make it sound as much as if you were really talking and doing the dialogue so I read dialogue by myself, and I also uh, read it with my father in the case of poems where I had written dialogue lines for him. And I really loved how there was the back and forth, the sound of the two different voices. Well, as a listener, it breaks that boredom, and it's important. And so um, I'm glad that you were able to do that. And, of course, your father at his age is really it's thrilling to be able to record with him. I want to uh, talk a little bit about marketing and what were your biggest challenges in marketing this audio book? Well, first you have to decide who your audience is, and that's not always so easy. If you have an existing following, you have a better idea of, of who those people might be. If not, then you just have to think about your material and to think who would it appeal to. You know, often on, on websites or blogs or, indeed, in books, when you're putting them on the Library of Congress list, you have to think what are the keywords, for instance. And that's a useful exercise to go through, is to just put out, like, what are the ten keywords, you know, like you do on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then once you have those words, then you can work for there to define your audience. And then, of course, you have to be able to reach your audience. Uh, For me, that was the mechanism of the blog tour that uh, you were part of last summer was over a course of two months. And we did guest posts, interviews, podcasts, internet radio, uh, quite quite a panoply of of different techniques to reach uh, potential listeners. And then, again you can go directly to people and meet them face-to-face, and often that's extremely effective. And then I think just still brainstorming who might um, who might be interested and then brainstorming again, how can you reach those people? And as we said before, looking within your network to see where the resources are and who can help you do that. And that's so important, the networking, the resources and also knowing your target market. And so I'm, I just really, I'm glad you talked about that because that is, knowing the market and who you're targeting is really important because, you know, we don't, we can't market to the general public because there isn't such a thing. It has to be specific and knowing that who that specific is makes it much easier. You talked about keywords and are you able to track the people that come to your site and purchase the audio book. I don't have that facility in that I don't market the book directly off of my site. I have um, information and links on the site which then refer back to CD Baby. Strangely, the book is also, the audio book is also listed on Amazon. I never sent it to Amazon. Amazon simply picked it up.
1: Wow, that's great. Have you thought about audible.com which is you know the 400 pound gorilla of, of audiobook dealers
0: I've heard of it but for myself no I haven't used it all right how does, well, it, how does it how does it work Victor
1: well I believe it's partly a subscription service where you sort of there's there's a monthly fee involved but then I think there's a low cost per per download and I think that uh, you can get the books delivered to your your iPhone or your other uh, audio device. If you look at where all the New York Times bestsellers, they're all up there on audible.com, I
0: believe. Right. I think the reason that I didn't go that direction was, as I said earlier, that I decided for my demographic that the hard copy was the best way to go. And since I have a thousand of these packages, I wanted to sell those thousand before I went digital.
1: Of course. I was just thinking as you were talking before. Do you know people, or have you thought about using maybe community theater groups to to do it more like a, a radio play? In the case of uh, maybe a fiction book,
0: I think a, a fiction book or or uh, short stories that would work quite well. And then of course there's uh, you know large radio shows like uh, NPR. One of the people that was at my celebration dinner in Nashville is my cousin, Susie Boggess. Um and she had suggested, for instance, that I might think about having some of the material on Garrison Keeler show. So to start thinking uh, at whatever level of bigness that, that you want, how little, medium, or large do you want the product to go, and how much effort do you have to give to that
1: yeah that's a good point there are a lot of uh, shows out there that are you know willing to look at uh, clips or excerpts or readings and in fact uh, there's one out there called uh, Starship Sofa which is for science fiction readers and they will often take uh, dramatic readings and just you know, put a, a reading or an excerpt right in the middle of their show for people to listen to
0: that sounds great especially for all of you science fiction fans.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get running out of time, I'd like you to uh, choose a couple of poems if you have them handy and, and maybe just do a little reading so we can get uh, more of a flavor for your work.
0: Okay. I'd like to read the poem, Appetite. I'll just read this one. This There are five sections in the book Three for people that I loved and two for places that I loved. This poem that I'm going to read for my mother is in her section called Sweet Little Dove. This poem is called Appetite. At the end of her life, so much left undone. So much promise left to be won. So much sugar left unspun. So many recipes left in the book. So many foods left to be cooked. So many meals left to be tasted. So many roasts left to be basted. So many tastes left to devour. Her appetite still grows by the hour. Even her stomach growl shows power. Collected in boxes, bags, and barrels, her recipes keep her up all night. She comes to bed now, and we turn off the light. Oh, That's very nice. Thank Thank you. you. And you have a very good voice. Thank you, and that's, why I decided to read my own poetry. I didn't feel that anyone else could interpret it as well as I could. That's not true for every author, so I think that each author who decides to put their book in an audio format needs to make a very clear and honest determination about the quality of their voice and whether they or someone else can do a better job at interpreting their work. Well, and that's so important. You said the word quality, and it, that is very, very important. And I'm glad that you stressed that. So, you know, sometimes we just have to hire somebody work for us, because and that's okay. So, okay, we've got all this done. We've got the package. We've got it. We're finally done, and then comes the big celebration. That's right. We're that's done. Stage. <laughs> That's right. That's stage six, and that's, in my mind, equally as important as all the rest that we need to honor and mark all of the effort that's gone into it and the people that have helped us along the way, whether these have been professionals or whether they've been friends, amateurs who have helped us with their resources. So that's a a very important stage not to be forgotten. I so agree. And so tell us, what did you do for your celebration? We were in Nashville, Tennessee, since that's where the book was produced, and we stayed in a place called the Sportsman Lodge and Grill, which was great fun. And you had, uh, your, uh, who, else, who did you invite? You said the, because you were doing the production there, so obviously. There was my, my sound engineer and his mm-hmm. wife, Scott okay. Kidd and his wife, Yvonne Perry since she was the one who had drawn me there in the first place and had recommended Scott, her son-in-law, also Hal Minogue, who is my other blogging buddy there and had been a great supporter of the book Sightlines, a Poet's Diary. There was a man who had helped us with the, the legal work, the mechanical licensing and copyright. His name is Greg McNay. He worked extremely cheaply on the project and impeccably And without his help, I think I would have just gone stark raving mad. We did all the original research work, but then he took that and and ran with it. And then, as I mentioned, my cousin, Susie Boggess, who's um, a music star in, in Nashville. And my father and her mother had played music together at a family reunion years ago, but I had never met Susie. Oh, how fun. It must, have been, it must have been so gratifying to finally have this all done and in the end you know, do that big celebration. It was great fun. Mm-hmm. And actually, the, the blogging tour, which was um, marketing, was also like a great big celebration. I think almost everything that you do afterwards is yeah, like a great of celebration. Course, of course. Yeah. And it's important I, to do that. Janet, tell our listening audience your website. My website address is reallife.com. That's my last name, R-I-E-H-L, and then I-F-E.com. And I'll just repeat that, R-I-E-I-F, E I in Frank, E.com. Thank you so much, Janet. This has been really a pleasure. And I know that our listening audience have um, taken some pointers away and, you know, helped them make a decision whether or not they're really going to do this. And it sounds like it's very doable because you did it. And congratulations, and thank you again for helping us out and getting to know about all your books. It's my pleasure. There's one more theme that I would I would like to put forth, and that is that in any creative work, there's a, a, a good amount of organizing and left-brain work. So on each stage, there's uh, a lot of logic going on. There's um, finite judgments going on. There's listing, cataloging and just to be prepared to see it through to the end and to realize that most of it will be fun, but some of it will not be, and it's still worth the effort.
1: Words to live by. All right. You've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back next time when our topic will be arranging public appearances, and our special guest will be Jonathan Maxell. You can learn more about all of our guests on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader
0: Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin Texas saying goodnight.
1: For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.